Okay, guys, I am so excited for today's show. I have a guest on today that came to me in a super unique way. Pascal is actually someone I went to elementary school with all the way to high school. So we have roots together, but then really went our separate ways, didn't talk much, well, at all, right? It's been mm-hmm. years. And then through social media, she was wonderful, reached out, shared a piece of her story with me. And after hearing a glimpse of her journey and the light of the discussion we had, I was like, I've got to bring her on the show. We've got to talk about this. And she was up for it. So she is here today. She's going to be sharing her journey with us, discussing emotion and food, how race and body size impact our emotional attachment to food and so much more. Pascal is now living outside of Boston. She works with a medical device company. She's a fellow CrossFitter and she is living a life of food adventures right now. Pascal, I'm so excited you're here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this. I can't believe it. When is the last time we've talked? I think it was right before you got married, if I'm not mistaken. Did we? Okay, so, so total disclaimer, I have the worst memory. <laughs> things like that. I'm like, oh crap. We t- I'm sorry. <laughs> All good. I think it was in passing. They're like, Jesse got married. I was like, what? <laughs> I did. I know it was a surprise to, I think everyone, my, myself yeah. and my parents included. <laughs> yeah. I think I am. Um, I was downtown at distillery. I don't know if it still exists. And, uh, that's when I heard, I was like, oh my God, I have to tell her congratulations. Cause it's so exciting. So well, thank you. Thank you. With that in passing, which I don't remember, which is terribly embarrassing. (laughs) There's so much that I know has happened. And in particular for you, when you reached out to me, you talked about this last year and how this last year in particular has been this like year of growth for you. So let's start there. What happened over the last year and has brought you to where you are now? Well, the pandemic started and I just came back from a week long vacation in San Diego and the world shut down and, um, you know, you're trying to hustle and get everything you need and it's me and the cat. So I needed to make sure that we had everything. And, um, I was probably two months into a, uh, tumultuous relationship with a guy that is no longer part of my life. You know, he had the, the charm and the looks and everything going on and date one and date two. Awesome. It's like, wow. Like I honestly saw a life with him and I've never uttered the word marriage to any guy in my entire life ever. And, um, you know, the other version of him came out. Mm -hmm. He was verbally abusive. He said things about my body about, you know, why isn't your butt tighter? Why do your breasts look like that? What do you do for exercise? And, you know, (laughs) the pandemic just started and the gym's closed. And, you know, yeah, and my life really, I was gone all the time with my job. I travel 70% of the time. I cover half of the the country on my own. And, you know, I indulged a lot. And when you're stuck inside your house and you're being told you can't go anywhere, the only place I went to was my refrigerator, like everybody else. And the abuse got worse. It went from verbal, then it went to physical. Mm -hmm. Never in my life have I had a man put his hands on me, ever. Wow. And I can actually say, I know what it feels like to be slapped across the face multiple times. Oh my gosh. So, but you're in this terrible relationship in the middle of the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I'm asking myself is like, is this love? Is this is what love is about? This is like what it comes with. And, you know, I haven't dated much. I didn't really start dating until I was in grad school. And I think that's when I went nuts in Colorado, but I put up with it. I put up with the abuse. I put up with the comments. I put up with, he even told me if I lost 25 pounds, he would gain 25 pounds. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know, he took it one step further and he was like, were you ever pregnant in your life? He's like, because your body just sags. And it's like, dude, it's called gravity. I'm, I'm 35. <laughs> oh. You know, I don't I, like perky boobs and a, and a tight ass. That is <laughs> something that, you know, your body changes. Uh And he didn't understand that. And, you know, someone that's from, not from this country, he is very aesthetics, you know, everything, everything has to be in the right place at all times. Wow. And when I show up and, you know, workout pants and a sweatshirt and he's like, what's, what is this? What's all, what's this about? So my drinking went, um, pretty out of control. Um, I learned in Massachusetts that, uh, the liquor stores are considered essential. And I was like, sweet. So. I was going to the liquor store like every day, every day. Yeah. 
and I was buying beer, I was drinking champagne, I was drinking wine, and it was, it became a problem. And I've had bouts of, sure, alcoholism, I, I can admit it, um, because that's how I coped. It was food and drinking. And um, one time I walked into the liquor store and the owner recognized me. And he said, oh, you're back. I'm like, oh, fuck. And he's like, we have your Spanish champagne. I was like, I felt naked. I felt embarrassed. But it's like, this is the situation that you're in. And here's an opportunity to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So I left I left shit on the floor and walked out. And I've never been back into that store ever oh, again. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So I quit drinking in the pandemic completely. Wow. So was that actually the turning point then for you? Okay. Because... I was in a deep, dark hole. I didn't know what to do. Okay. So you're in this relationship and it doesn't feel like a red flag up until now. Like Girl, I didn't know what red flags were until the pandemic started. Okay. I okay. tolerated a lot. Okay. And I knew, I knew by like date two that he wasn't the person for me, mm-hmm. but I went along with it because I was so desperate to have a relationship. I'm thinking to myself, I'm the only girl out of my social group yeah. of friends that's single. And it kind of reminded me of my childhood and always wanting to have a boyfriend. Like, why can't I have everything that everyone else has? Mm-hmm. And then I remember like, God didn't have, uh, I have never seen a plan from him. It's always been blank. Okay. And it's more or less of create your own path, do your own thing. This is the time where you can, you are allowed to do whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took that as an opportunity and, you know, I think it was Memorial Day weekend where I just couldn't, the fighting, I couldn't do it anymore. I felt that every time I wanted to talk about my emotions with him, he would like raise his hand and I was like scared shitless that I was going to get hit again. Yeah. I told him like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. He's like, why can't we take a break? And it's like, like, I'm fucking 35 and you're 40. And you're telling me let's take a break. Like we're not in grade school anymore. Yeah. And it's just, like I'm done. Like, don't contact me ever again. Don't come to my house ever again. And I was to a point where I had to put blackout curtains all over the windows and I would have to like tell my neighbors, like, if this person comes here, I, I'm not here. Don't mm-hmm. tell them where I am because I'm not, I wasn't sure what he was capable of doing besides what he's done so far. Yeah. I mean, if he's hit you and physically abused you emotionally, you do have to ask those questions, but mm-hmm. it sounds like you started to recognize, okay, this is not okay. And I need to get myself out of this. So was the, was the liquor store, the turning point? The liquor store was the turning point. I think eating Trader Joe's chocolate cakes, like four of them in one day was a turning point. Okay. Okay. I told myself I wasn't going to cry. So grateful for you sharing this. This is real stuff and this is yeah. heavy and runs deep. And so I, when you're telling me this and you're telling, I'm imagining you here in the pandemic, you know, at this turning point, kind of like really at rock bottom. And mm-hmm. my first question is what led you to the place where you felt like this was okay, where it didn't raise red flags. You said, I didn't even know what red flags were. And I know this is where we're going to get to talk about your childhood and how you were brought up and you ready? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, I must say I was so naive to the things that we're about to talk about and, you know, didn't even pick up on it, would have never noticed. And I may have even contributed to some of the, the struggles that you faced. I didn't. You and me both. I can't place blame on anyone if I don't include myself. Yeah. And, you know, now in my older years, I, I've learned the lesson. And, um, but, you know, I grew up in Florida. I have two older brothers. I have my parents. I had an awesome childhood. You know, my brothers were my saving grace. They treated me like I was one of the boys. So I could, I could take a lot. You know, I remember my oldest brother and I were on his scooter and he was going super fast and I was in the front and I fell off and hit my head and didn't really cry because my dad told us his kids and he's like, suck it up. <laughs> you were and, one of the boys. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I still am. And it's actually kind of funny how things are now, you know, I was climbing trees. I was going into the ditch. I was playing with frogs and like killing them. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, a, I had an awesome childhood. And, but I think what I hated the most was going to school. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that I was bright, but I was picked on all the time. And it's like, your hair looks this way. And why are you wearing that? Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate because my mom is very creative. You know, she was a nurse by day and she was a designer at night. So 50% of my wardrobe is something that 
she she's made by hand. Oh wow! Yeah, it actually it's more like eighty percent of my wardrobe. <laughs> so I was really lucky, but I got picked on for a lot of things. And then you know, I remember being in second grade. Um, I think I I was eighty one pounds. Mm-hmm. I remembered what I had on, and it's something that she made. And then I was humiliated with all of my peers, who were smaller, who were predominantly Caucasian, and they were all thin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like that snack time and you get like a cookie and everyone had two and she gave me one. I'm like, what the fuck? Like now I'm being subjected. I can only, I can only have one cookie. Really? Like this is, this is the world that I live in. The teacher only gave you one cookie? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Second grade. And, you know, as kids, we are like sponges. We hold on to, you know, I'm like a bolt. I have so much shit in there that I can like pull out and remember this has happened to me. Because what was yeah. the message you got there? The message was, is that I was the only black kid in class and I was the fat one. Yeah. Like you stick out and because you stick out, you don't get this. You're not right. worthy. Like there's a lot of underlying, like you're not worthy in there, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, that was a, a huge theme. I mean, I lived in uh like the Clearwater area until I was 10. And that's when I moved to New Mexico and met you. Mm-hmm. And um, when I moved to New Mexico, it was culture shock. I literally went from the beach to the desert. And I didn't <laughs> yeah. know, you know, I'm a naive kid. I didn't know other cultures existed. I didn't know that, holy fuck, there's mountains, mm-hmm. there's lakes. And it's like, my dad's like, do you want to go to the beach? And I was like, yeah, let's go. And he's like, it's a water park. <laughs> that, that's right. Not not the not the real beach with the ocean, real beach, like the like, water park. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I know I'm geographically challenged, but I'm pretty sure you moved us to a landlocked state and yeah. there's no water. I remember wearing bathing suits and I, you know, I think there was a, a, a class trip somewhere in seventh grade and picked on. Fifth grade, it was hard for me. I pretty damn sure I was the only black girl in all of that school. Maybe there's maybe three or four of us. I total male and female. Yeah, total. Like we, I don't know. I don't know. We always called it like the Northeast whites because it is such a white area of town that we live in. Yeah. And you know, I lived in, I've always lived in predominantly Caucasian neighborhood always. Mm -hmm. And I've had family that grew up in South central St. Pete. They lived in, you know, the quote unquote hood. Mm-hmm. where there were shootings and their car was almost stolen and they lived in a two bedroom and there were four people. Mm-hmm. But I also stayed over there and, you know, I felt safe because I'm with my aunt, with my cousins, no problem. But I've always lived to this day. I've always lived in a Caucasian neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And in fifth grade, you know, there were a lot of girls that like, oh, yeah, you're new. Let's hang out. And I was like, sweet. I need friends. But holy fuck, the, the, the shit that I had to go through, like I was tormented and I was told, oh, you stole our, you stole someone's bike. Yeah. Oh okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just fucking moved here. And you think I stole your bike? So I took the bike and I held it and carried it across the lawn and held it up. And I said, this is the bike that my father bought me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. And you were how old at that age? I was 10. So you're having to like prove yourself. Mm-hmm. And at that age, just because, wow. Yeah. And I had to prove myself already to my parents because, you know, failure is not an option. Yeah. They're like, no child of ours is going to be average. So it's kind of, it was a hurdle to get over and just meeting people at school. And, you know, I remember I wanted my mom to straighten my hair for the first day of school. And she asked me why. And I said, because I want to fit in with everybody else. What did she say? She said she didn't really understand what's wrong with the hair that you have why can't you just be yourself? And it's like, I live in an area where I don't know anyone and I didn't have label clothes in the environment that I was in. You had to have certain stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would come home in tears and it's like, I don't have this and I don't have that. And they're like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Well, and it sounds like at the heart of it was, it was you, we were being picked on, right. And you were being yeah. excluded. Like what kind of things would people say to you that, that have stuck with you? I've been called a fat cheeseburger. I've been called, um, why don't you have a brawn? Your boobs are like flapping through the wind. Um, an elephant, a rhino, you know, any, any animal that's big Mm -hmm. and harmful Mm -hmm. is the other thing. It's because like, well, you've never seen a black person in your life, like ever, (laughs) ever, ever. (laughs) Like New Mexico is pretty, uh, cultural and there's different, you know, ethnicities and different races there, but it's like, 
wow, you've really never seen a black person. Well, it is, but there's certain segments, right. That like right. are very, like we talk about the North, when I say Northeast whites, it's called the Northeast Heights, but yeah. it's not a melting pot. It's not, it's not. And my parents wanted to make sure that the three of us went to the best schools mm-hmm. and shame on my dad for being an engineer for the labs. And he wanted to live in the Northeast Heights. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a huge home and he wanted to give us everything that neither one of them had. Mm-hmm. My parents were immigrants. They grew up in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. They didn't wow. have electricity, didn't have running what? water. What? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> my mom is one of 10. Wow. There was one boy and nine girls all in a row. She's number seven. And I actually do call her number seven every time from time to time. <laughs> and she, I remember when I had my, when my first period started and she's like, I didn't have pads. You know, we had to use the hell we had. And I had to wash my underwear like everybody else. They didn't have all the things. So of course, as immigrants, they wanted me and my brothers to have the life that they did. Yeah. I mean, how did that impact you? It was hard because I didn't want to live up to their expectations. Mm. You know, they wanted a, a, a lawyer, a doctor, and um, what's the other one? An engineer. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's funny. My dad was the engineer. His brother is the doctor and his sister is the paralegal. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> With the three of us, he got a kid that's in sales. Mm-hmm. You have the other one who's the artist. And then you have me that's in healthcare. He would tell me, I want you to do this. And I would deviate from the plan. <laughs> you're like, don't tell me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're not going to tell me shit. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm thankful that he had, both of my parents had my back. And they're like, you're, do what you want. Just don't fail. <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean, that really is. Do you want to kind of shift in and get a picture of how did that show up in your food and your relationship with your body? Because here you are, one of five black people in our school and being picked on for your size. I do remember you being taller than most of the women or women, girls in elementary <laughs> school. <laughs> we're not women, not even close at that point. And these names you were called are just so they're abusive and aggressive and oh yeah yeah so how did this show up in your food and your relationship with your body so my relationship with food and my body has just been you know a a giant clusterfuck Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it started when I was like four and I found you know my love affair for peanut butter Mm -hmm. and um my dad was pretty you know he let me eat whatever I want you know I would swim out of meat and everyone's eating like good fuel, like protein and bagels. And I'm like sitting there chilling, eating donut. And I remember the coaches saying, you know, you're swimming nets. And it's like, yeah, I can put the donut. I can put the donut down. No problem. But you need to be eating healthier things. And it's like, it's one donut fucking relax. When I found different like flavors, because New Mexico is different. I was like, wait, there's chili and there's this and there's this. I wanted all of it. And you know, the portion sizes were massive. And I'm like, this is for one person. Sweet. And now that I look back, I'm like, oh my God, that could have been food for like four different people. And I was eating that all at once to a point where my body was in physical pain from overeating. Mm. And that's when I knew, like, I'm pretty intuitive. And that's when I knew that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no joke. And when I swam for the club team for UNM, the things that I was doing was not only harmful to me, but there really wasn't any kind of conversation of maybe you shouldn't spend $5 at the vending machine. Mm. You know, $5 when I was 10 was a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. I would put my, from chips, cookies, everything, candy, everything at the bottom of the bag. And I would put my swim, my bathing suit and my towel on top. So my parents had no idea that I was doing that. So do you think it was a comfort thing? There's some of it that you just enjoyed the flavors, which you know, I know we'll get to, but it's like, yeah, you enjoy a donut, eat a donut. It's relaxed. It's not that big of a deal, but it sounds like it's kind of a mixture of like, you enjoyed it, but then maybe it went too far to where it was comfort and like almost a numbness in it or a sense of control. Yeah. Yeah, I was eating my emotions. What there's one thing that I've learned. I don't do feelings. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about them ever, ever, ever. I like stuff them down there. And that's what I was doing. If I was feeling vulnerable, I would eat it. If I wanted to be, you know, if I wanted to hide, I would eat it. Mm-hmm. If I was overeating it's because I was probably going through, you know, at, my, at 10, I was going through depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that I was going through it. Yeah. Well, and it's a numbing mechanism. And this is something right. I just have to jump in and share this. It is 
a numbing mechanism that works and is effective. And so, and I think this is important to know because it reduces some of the shame that people feel associated with it. They've done these studies where they have people look at images that invoke negative emotions. And if they hook them up to an IV that administers fatty acids directly to their bloodstream. So this is like what would happen after you ate a carton of ice cream. They are numbed out to those pictures and have less of an emotional reaction to them. So it is a culturally accepted numbing mechanism. Mm -hmm. So how did this couple, cause here you are overeating and eating to the point where beyond like physical comfort. And mm -hmm. you're also being told like, you shouldn't be eating these things, right? Like you've been given the one cookie when everybody else got two and being picked on for your body size and your color. And where did that leave you? Um, it left me in a, in a, in a dark hole. I was by myself. And, um, I remember my mom finding wrappers on the floor in my bedroom. It's funny. Cause when I bought my house, um, there were kids that used to live here and I found wrappers in the, um, baseboard heating. And when I went to clean them, I would hit it to, you know, to get everything to come out. And it brought me back to that moment. It was triggering. Yeah. Were, you, were you in therapy at that time or not yet? Yeah. I've been in therapy as long as I've lived in Boston. So, okay. so, cause I was, I was heading down a, a, a very interesting hole. <laughs> Well, and a lot of it was, you know, we talked about our naivety at the beginning is like, I mean, you were really set up from an early age to yeah. battle these things. Yeah. And, you know, my parents, my mom, she always made sure that there were, you know, the protein, the starch and the vegetable on the plate every single night. And my dad would be the last one at the table. And he was like, please eat your vegetables. And like, <laughs> I don't want to eat the squishy carbs. I don't want to eat the squash. I don't want to. And I would end up like putting it in my mouth and like, kind of pretending that I'm swallowing it. And yeah. then I remember having to spit it out. <laughs> but I hated vegetables like any other kid. Right. And, you know, she and my, my dad were very about, you know, you're an athlete, definitely eat, but watch what you eat. Mm -hmm. And that's when I deviated. So you see, I can't have a pizza. I'm like, go fuck yourself. I'm going to have to go like, slice pizza. Back. I'm going to eat the whole damn thing. And I remember, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade where um, there's like a pizza hut, not that far. And I would wait, like look, clock watch. I'm like, you guys open it? Are you open yet? Are you open yet? Mm. I used to do shit like that. And I actually, I kind of do like it now. It's like, where's my Uber Eats? It's been like 20 minutes. <laughs> my parents were very helpful. And, you know, I think it's just the delivery because at that time, I don't really think there's a lot of talk about nutrition. Mm -mm. I remember um, getting like a membership. It's like sports and wellness. Mm -hmm. And the way it was delivered was embarrassing because I just got my period and she's saying, well, she's eating too much and her hormones are through the roof. And I'm sitting there like still sitting here. I'm just imagining you there at that age going mm -hmm. through puberty, which one like is <sighs> so <Jesus>. traumatic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is happening with my body too, with like this history of so much and mm -hmm. now being talked about your body, like it's an object and something's wrong with it. And you're like, hello, <laughs> right here. Mm -hmm. And then you've got that inner rebellious side of you. That's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like, do you want me to get a membership done? I will fake pretend that I'm at the gym and then I'm just going to sashay my way to the subway and I'm going to get sandwiched and you won't even know because it's in my gym bag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Know at the time that I was hurting myself because I was trying to get back at them. Mm -hmm. And all they wanted was for me to be healthy. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of conversation about health. Or if there was, you know, you go to the pediatrician and you're like, you're 5'8", you should be 160 pounds and you should weigh this much and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, listen, I'm 14, I'm 5'8", I'm over 200 pounds, my breasts are double Ds, what are you going to do to help me? Yeah. Besides put me on a caloric intake diet of 1200 calories and you're telling a 14 year old girl it's insane. what you should be eating. And they're like, oh, and, and on top of it, how are you an athlete and you're eating like this? This is the messaging. Like so much there. Cause one, and I know you mentioned this, I think in the email you sent me, but like the growth charts are based on Caucasians, correct? which is a huge disservice to people of color. Cause it puts them, it says, oh, you're at risk when in reality, they might not be at risk. Yeah. That's a whole. <laughs> so I'm curious, at what point did you know I have an eating disorder? It was brought to my attention that I had an eating disorder when I was 31. Oh my gosh. That whole time. That whole time. You didn't know. No. So how was that at 31 to hear that? Cause that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. It was. And I still had hard time, like a really hard time connecting the dots. 
because mm-hmm. I just thought I loved food. I just thought that genetically, this is my body. Mm-hmm. And I think that one word was missing from the entire conversation. Mm-hmm. Everyone forgets that genetics is what makes your body. <laughs> How you treat it is on you. Mm-hmm. And if there's not a tool, what the fuck are you supposed to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I look at my bank account, like with a fine tooth comb. And I also look at my health records, like a fine tooth comb. And I was blown away that there is an actual an ICD-10 code for eating disorders. I had no idea that a person of my size was experiencing that. None. I just got chills. You just said something that I think is such a major misconception is that people assume eating disorders only happen in very, very small bodies or someone that looks gaunt or malnourished. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. And it sounds like you real, you seeing that, I mean, did any of that feel validating in any way? It did, but I was also just pissed about it because I felt that I, you know, I'm 31 and at the time, and it's like, wait, this has been out here. There's a whole area yeah. at Barnes and Noble about this exact issue. And there are people you. that are going to school for this and that there's podcasts and there are people like Ashley Graham and Lizzo that are going through the same exact thing, but they're like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Like this has existed and this could have been changed when I was younger to a point where I was being prescribed medication to lose weight. Oh my gosh. Name it. Like I was on a migraine medication at the time I wasn't experiencing migraines, but I lost 40 pounds. I was given water pills so I could do bloat. I was given injections so I wouldn't be a diabetic, mm-hmm. but you left out the biggest fucking part of the conversation. Right, right. There is intuitive eating. There is therapy for this. You're not the only one. (laughs) Right. So for that long, I felt like I was the only one going through this. Oh my gosh. And not to like bring healthcare in, but as as practitioners, it's like, what the fuck did you study in school? That's what, so you started therapy at 19 and nobody brought it to your attention until you were 31? Everyone wanted me to lose weight. That's, that was their number one mission. Uh, Don't eat so much. Make sure you work out. And at that time, I was still living in New Mexico and I was kind of like a sophomore, but I was also like Van Wilder when I was college. I didn't take anything. <laughs> but I would run academy mm-hmm. in the morning and then I would go to the gym and I would work out. I was working out like six days a week. And that became like, as I got older, I tried to push the limits to a times where I think I've passed out twice. The thing about this is, and it sounds like with your, your experience validates this is that because you were in the body you were in, nobody questioned that. Like, it's like, it's fine if you're killing yourself at the gym and you're passing out or you're pushing it because you still need to lose weight. So as long as we're still working on that, this is okay. Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh, this is like, that's, yeah, that's the messaging that I got that was in my brain. And now, you know, I'm pushing against the norm and it's like, you know, someone told me to count calories and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because counting calories is a trigger for me. Yeah. I'm sitting here. I can feel the anger in my stomach for you because you've probably felt like years of your life were robbed because nobody yeah. had this conversation with you. And it makes me even more angry because I know you're not alone. And I mean, I've had people in my office that are in their fifties that are just now starting this conversation. And I know a big part of why you wanted to, and you were willing to share this was because you want other people to know they're not alone. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pascal, but I think one of the biggest fears in this is like, we're so indoctrinated that losing weight is the most important thing that we're afraid if we start embarking on like intuitive eating or embracing our body or working with our body, like we're afraid if we go in that direction that we won't lose weight or we won't be healthy. Mm -hmm. And how did you get yourself to this place? Cause you're now at the healthiest place you've ever been and you've embarked on this intuitive eating health at every size journeys. How did you get there? I got here because something had to change. I felt after working with a nutrition therapist, her goal was, I just need you to eat three times a day, get food on the plate. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you go to McDonald's and put a cheeseburger and put like a a potato. I don't care, but do it. You know, I remember coming to her and I said, so I had pasta last night. And she's like, was it good? (laughs) And I didn't even think to think of that. And it's like, 
wait, what was the question? And that's when I really started to understand like my passion for food and how much I enjoy every layer, every morsel, every ingredient that goes into it, you know, the love that's being put into it. Mm-hmm. And I can spend hours in my kitchen. I hate grocery shopping, but I can spend <laughs> hours in my kitchen and playing with different in types of food. And I think that's when I had more of an appreciation for it. Before it was more like, I just want to get back at the world. She encouraged me to enjoy the food that I was eating. Mm-hmm. Take nutrition out of it and just focus on what you enjoy. Mm-hmm then let's bring back nutrition into it. And if you're an athlete, and I've always been an athlete, is fucking eat protein at every meal, eat a carb. And oh my God, if it's a French fry, who cares? Mm -hmm. Did you eat a French fry at every single meal? Do you eat it 365 days? So that resonated with me. And now I go out and I'll go to dinner and it's like, you know what? I want that motherfucking pasta. I do. And I want lobster in it. And I know there's butter in it and there's cream in it. And I'm okay if it sits on my ass. Don't care. Because I'm sick and tired of this diet mentality. And I think, um, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this live, but I think Khloe Kardashian said it the best. <laughs> diet, the word die, hello. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing for, I don't know, 90% of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing it anymore. So I really took the pandemic as a opportunity to change and actually eat the shit that I'm buying. If I'm going to spend $300 for Trader Joe's, I'm going to eat it and I'm going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try not for it to get into my head when I'm at the gym. It's like, oh my God, I have to burn that off. Mm-hmm. I have to burn that off because that's that misconception. Mm-hmm. Well, and don't you think there's something to be said about buying food that you've put love into and building a meal and sitting down and like intentionally enjoying it versus yep. like when you're hiding it? because it's wrong and it's secretive or it's a rebellion. Like there's a total difference in satisfaction there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, I still go through periods of hiding food, especially when I'm like coming back from McDonald's. Yes. I still eat McDonald's and it's fucking delicious. And I can't, <laughs> but you know, when I'm walking into my condo, I wonder like, I wonder what my neighbors are thinking. Like, God, that girl must eat out a lot. And then I think to myself, who gives a fuck? Mm-hmm. Who really gives a fuck? Like it's not, first off, it's not your money. It's not your body. And I can do whatever the hell I want. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like I have moments of shame because it's like, oh, you've tried so hard and you went to the gym this morning and you're not eating nutritious food. I'm like, I'm a damn woman. Okay. I have hormones and those hormones want everything. And I shouldn't have to apologize for that. Mm-hmm. I really shouldn't. I kind of get to a point where the girls that I work out with, we all laugh about how many times we've gone into the city to get donuts or we went to get ice cream or who gives a shit. I'm not going to lift weights today. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the best things of being at a body positive CrossFit, but nobody cares. Yeah. And if you make it an issue, it's because you obviously care. Right. It's your issue. It's like their projection, not your own. Yeah. And I remember before I even started CrossFit, it's like, okay, let me do my research Mm -hmm. and see like what the gyms are like and go on the Instagrams and see what kind of people are going there. Because I went to a studio that was toxic as fuck. Holy shit. Like there, are some. there was no modification. There was never like a scaled version of anything. Oh it, my you're God. Expected, yeah. You're expected to swing a kettlebell, you know, as much as you can. And it's like, well, okay, I can't swing a kettlebell. Right. And I would get so frustrated. And I remember I used to go to that gym six days, six days. And I was taking three classes a night. So like two hours of working out mm-hmm. and I was barely eating. I was obsessed of losing weight and I wanted to get into a specific size. How did you let go of the, the weight loss and wanting to be in a specific size? Like, how did you get there to feel safe enough in your body? Cause I love what you said in, when you filled out your bio, you said it took me 36 years to find my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked earlier about how we have genetics, but it's the stuff you do that expresses or depresses those genetics. So how did you find this balance between not denying yourself food, but not binging on food? Well, that was really uh, nutrition therapy. And I asked my friends like, so what do y'all do? Mm-hmm. What are y'all's goals? And that was another thing. Like I didn't really have goals at all besides I want to get to this specific number. Mm. And did, your, did your friends have the same goals? Some, some of them had the same goals. And then we kind of realized this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> We're in our thirties and your body starts to change. Yeah, we got no control sometimes. We don't have... We have no control. And as women and with hormones, oh my gosh, fucking forget it. So I think it's when the first round was when I got into a car accident and I couldn't work out. Mm 
-hmm. And then I went through like a three year depression where I literally couldn't get off the couch. Mm -hmm. And I thought had suicidal ideation and there were attempts. I think I I've lost count of how many times I uh, attempted suicide. Gosh, Pascal. Yeah. Drinking to excessive, taking over the counter, you name it. So therapy is what really helps me, but also getting into circles of friends that are sick and tired of the bullshit and really understand that diets don't work. Mm-hmm. You can try and you can lose the weight. I've done it, but it all comes back. It's not sustainable. You can't. I don't know who in the hell can eat 1200 calories in a day. Children, <laughs> very young children. And, you know, they can do that. And, you know, I looked at my nieces and I'm like, you just had like a potato for dinner. I'm jealous of you. Which is crazy, right? Cause you're a 36 year old athlete that yeah. shouldn't need to match the nutrient intake of a six year old. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's now that we're having those conversations. Mm-hmm. It's now where our community is pushing back and saying, no, your, your methodology doesn't actually work. And what's wrong with being bigger? What's wrong with having curves? What's wrong with having an ass? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with all of that? Because we've been told to be a a sample size. Mm -hmm. because That's what we see. Well, and I think one of the the really big red flags is that that sample size has changed. And now it's, now it's not the wafer thin body. Now it's like the big, butt, really narrow waist. It's like shifted. Right. And bodies are supposed to look the specific body type that's deemed attractive. And it's changed throughout the course of history. And people are in your situation where like literally wanting to take your life and not knowing how to find balance with the one thing that gives us, well, two things, air and food, right? Give and water. Those are the things that give us life. And here you are because you can't find balance with that because you've been told your body's not trustworthy. You're like wanting to take your life. And this is my issue with idolizing a certain body type. Right, right. And I think Ashley Graham said it the best is the perfect size is my size. Yes. And you know, it's taken me 36 years. I feel frustrated at the universe. I feel frustrated that I've been told this bullshit story. I, you know, as, as a single girl living in Boston, you know, I see girls that are thin and beautiful girls. And it's like, well, I want, I want that. Mm -hmm. So girls like me that are black and that are voluptuous and have a big ass and have a big set of tits. It's like, oh my God, guys actually do like that. And it's like, yeah. And this is, this is the shit that just drives me nuts. And it's, we need to get to a time where you see bigger people walking down the runways and, and modeling. And now you're, you're, you're slowly starting to see it. We're starting to see it. Yeah. You're starting to like, do not shop at places that do not make my size. I don't. And if you don't have it in the store, that just shows me that you don't accept everyone for who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm done and I deserve better. And, you know, I'm kind of in a sense, and this might sound creepy, but I'm thankful for the bullshit that I've had to deal with. I'm thankful for the abusive relationship because had I not been in that situation, I probably wouldn't be alive or I may not have changed my life. So the pandemic really helped me and, you know, doing a deep dive on how I grew up and the different situations that I've been in. I don't want my niece to go through that. She's 10. Mm-hmm. You know, she told me I'm, she was doing a pushup on, um, FaceTime and she's like, I need to use my knees. Now I'm gonna do a girl push-up. And I was like, what the fuck is a girl push-up? <laughs> I didn't realize they assigned roles to exercises now. Yeah. And I said, I said, my darling, you do the push-up that you wait, you want to do it. If you want to bake a cake, I will help you. If you want to wear short ass shorts, ask your mother. <laughs> <laughs> and then I will help you. And then, and I'll then take I will help you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not just women that's going through this. There are men that are going through this as well. And they're having problems with their own bodies because of what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I love about what you're saying is you've let go of what you're supposed to be. And you yeah. said, this is who I am. This is how I choose to be. And I'm living it. And no longer am I going to apologize for it. I'm not going to apologize for walking in my house with McDonald's, even if it is the fifth time this week. Like I'm not apologizing for it. I think this year I've spent a ton of money on clothes because I am more confident in my body. Oh, that's so cool. You know, I'm buying lingerie and I'm buying, you know, sexy ass underwear that I know I'm going to be sitting in all day. I don't really care. Because it makes you feel good. It makes me feel good. And I'm buying, you know, I have three bathing suits and like, and my, I've always wondered, like, why do girls have so many bathing suits? Like, what's wrong with just one? It's like, no, I want to wear that one for the day. And I want to wear that one because it's a thong. And you know what? If you don't like to look at my cottage cheese ass, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I love it. I love it. Now, you in this place, 
is the healthiest version of you. And one of the things that I think is missed about health at every size is that there is this misconception that it means I don't care about my body. And it's actually quite the opposite. It's more, I embrace my body and I'm taking care of it. I'm just no longer shaming it. So I am curious, how has you embracing your body and owning it, like and saying, this is Mm -hmm. me, no apologies. How has that led you to take better care of yourself and your health? I learned as as funny as it sounds, I didn't know what self-care was. Mm-hmm. I just thought you're supposed to go get your nails done. You're supposed to go get a haircut. You're supposed to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I remember my therapist, like, I think she just sat there and kind of blinked multiple times. Like, what, you, what self-care, what you don't do it. And I guess I've been doing it, but I haven't presented it in a self-care way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's funny. I have a, a mug that one of my girlfriends gave me and it said, good morning, gorgeous. Like I fucking don't want that thing. And she stuck it in my bag. And when I came home with it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I drink out of it every morning. And it's like, this is who I am. I know that I'm a gorgeous woman. I know that I have my body type, that I'm comfortable with my body. And it's taking me a long time to accept it. And I'm not going to shame it. I'm not going to talk down to it because we get one body. And to think that I almost took my life multiple times and to think that I might've put my parents and my siblings and my family and my community, you know, I would be fucking missed. When I was in those depressive states, I was so fucking lost. Yeah. Lost. I kind of felt like it was like a a shitty version of inception where you're stuck in this theme and you can't get yourself out. It took me a long time to get here, but I'm thankful that I am here. And now that you are here, how does your life look different? It looks different because I care. It looks different because I have a whole community, not only at the gym, but I have my family that supports me and they only want the best for me. I don't allow them to shame me. I don't allow them to say whatever they want, because I will clap back. And, you know, I tell, I tell my friends, you know, I think I'm in like five or six group chats, but there's one where these two girls are like the most amazing. And I cannot believe that I say things like, oh, I like this guy and he's tall and he's beautiful and he has a great butt and he has everything going on. And, you know, he would never date a girl like me. And I can tell you those girls will get in their car and drive the five minutes and smack me for saying what I said. (laughs) And I finally feel at a place where I respect myself. Mm-hmm. The girl that was here a year ago wasn't the same. The girl that it has gone through tri- from trauma and triumph, I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I want to use this platform for other people so they don't have to go through what I went through. It's not fair. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to their life. Mm-hmm. Well, to put you in a place where you feel you're so isolated and alone and that there's no hope. I mean, nobody wants to be there. And I love that you're using your story to empower other people to find help and to find support because yeah, when you were starting and telling your story, you know, about the abusive relationship, I mean, I think that's what shook me is when you said, I didn't even know it was a red flag. Like you had this message that you weren't worthy and your body wasn't worthy, that it's okay for someone to slap you across the face. That's not an issue. How terrible, right? For you to be there and to be, to feel that that's okay. Because as you know, now you are worthy. You've got it going on. Yeah. You would be greatly missed. And I just think it's so amazing to see that turnaround. What would you tell someone that is in that place where they maybe don't feel like, they quite need help or they don't know that there is a problem. They're just kind of like that yeah. place where you're just not sure you even need to be working on something. Cause you're not, you're just stuck in that depression. I think, you know, therapy, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say that you're not okay. And, you know, I learned that from a super hot paramedic <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's having to help people that are in traumatic accidents. He's witnessed people die. And he flat out told me, it's like, it's okay not to be okay. But he said, what's not okay is not asking for help. Mm. Like there's so many resources out there. And I think that there needs to be, there needs to be more mental health awareness. Well, if anything exposed the need for mental health services, it was last year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just read that Denver Children's Hospital declared its first state of psychiatric emergency because the kids are in such disarray right now. We've got to fix it and we've got to treat it. We need to talk about it. It needs to be, you know, a conversation at the dinner table of, you know, how was your day and how are you doing mentally? How are you doing emotionally? From a girl that don't talk about emotions. 
I don't like being naked in Times Square. I don't, I mean, now I can do it. And I'm like, you want to look at it, look at it. I don't care. Right. But there needs to be more conversations. And, you know, I look to my generation because, you know, we're still, I like to consider myself an elder millennial. We are elder millennials. Absolutely. There's a whole like total sidebar here, but there's this whole skit by one of my favorite comedians where she talks yes. about this. You know what I'm yes. talking about? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. I'll tell you the tale of the landline. <laughs> how we used to dance to Sugar Ray. <laughs> yes. Well, it's the best. She has me rolling. <laughs> she does. And you know, she, I think she said it best. We do things because society has put this bullshit on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. that we should be a certain size and we should do this and we should do that. We should have children. Really? You want to talk to me about having children? Really? Like, oh my God, you're 35 and you don't have kids. No, I'm 35 and I have a home and I have a master's. Right. Let's talk about that. Right. And I'm black. Let's talk about that. I am so happy to be in presence of strong fucking women. Mm-hmm. It's time to, ch- we, the game needs to be changed. We can't continue to preach all these bullshit diets and all of these clothes. And it's like, you must be a size zero. I'm a size 18. Ask me if I give a fuck. <laughs> like the big issue that comes up with people, because I've been working on health at every size. I've given plenty of health at every size talks to physicians and medical providers. And the pushback I always get is like, well, they're not healthy. And, and this is the part. Yeah. And this is the part that I think is really frustrating to me because it's like, okay, the goal is to help everyone be their healthiest version of themselves. How is shaming someone, giving them one cookie while everybody else gets two, taking them into the doctor's office and not considering their genetics, lining them up against total different ethnicities, growth curves. Like how is that helping someone be the healthiest version of themselves? Because you can't tell me that I'm supposed to be 160 pounds. I would look emaciated and sick at 160 pounds. Oh yeah. I also think like, you know, it's like a snowball effect that goes into the schools and you know, you're, you're going to those classes and you're learning about your body and it's like, wow, you know, women actually have periods and things can change and men go through different things. And, you know, it's like, what are you eating? And it's more or less of, are you enjoying it? Are you taking care of yourself? Like there's not enough of those conversations happening. Why can't you tell your students, take care of yourself? I got into a place of, I don't care who accepts me. I accept me. Mm-hmm. And I tell, you know, I tell my niece, you want to, you want to get that? You want to go to Starbucks? Let's do it. Ask your mom first. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to do something, let's do it. But I don't want any other human being, because this is not just about women. I don't want any other human being to go through what any one of us has gone through. Mm -hmm. The language has to change. The time has to change. And like, I don't know what it's going to take, but something has to happen. I mean, my prayer is it's shifting because I do think the conversations are happening now. And Mm -hmm. we are starting to see people in different body sizes pop up on magazines. I think Athleta had- Yes. Magazine had diversity in there, which was super cool. And I think it will take time. I mean, the science is showing that it is lifestyle factors that dictate health, not body size. And I think when we can wrap our minds around that, we can start to pull away from the shaming or um, attachment to a specific body Mm -hmm. size. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so cool about your journey too, Pascal, is like, you're in this place of owning it now, which um, yeah. I think it was Ashley Graham who said like the most like attractive thing about a woman is her confidence. It's not anything she will wear. It's, you know, how she exudes herself. And what's cool about you is you're radiating that now. Mm-hmm. And, and that has changed your life and it's changed your life, like your lifestyle habits, how you take care of yourself, how you enjoy food, how you exercise, the circles you're around, the boyfriends you're, you're pursuing. I mean, it's just impacted all facets of your life, all because you've decided to say, I am who I am. This is my body and I'm no longer going to apologize for it. Yeah. I'm unapologetically black mm-hmm. and I'm going to use the voice that, you know, the universe has given me. And if you don't like it, there's this thing called mute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. And, you know, I'm like the, the laughings. I, I, you know, I'm the fun person when I'm at the gym, I don't hold back on anything. And, you know, I'm very upfront about my body. I'm upfront about sex. I'm upfront about everything. Like I really have I really have like nothing to hide. And- what did your shirt, I think that was one of the first social media posts that popped up on my um, 
Instagram with it said a uh, tacos, social justice and orgasms. Yep. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm all for it. And, you know, yesterday we were working out and uh, we're talking about like doing double unders, which I still don't have. And I said, I, you know, he, the coach is saying, you know, don't whip yourself. And I was like, well, I like to be whipped, just not with the rope. And he just looks at me and it's like, what? We are all fucking adults. We all enjoy sex. We all enjoy food. You, if you're, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But you know, <laughs> I'm very open. And I think, you know, with the guys that I, that I currently am dating, you know, they kind of just sit back. They're like, wow, she just said that. And it's like, yeah, problem. Like I warned you, like I told you I'm a, I'm, I'm an elder millennial, but mm-hmm. I think it's, um, I've spent 35 years keeping my mouth shut. Yeah. I'm not doing it anymore. You know, it's so funny though. So you and I, and I mean, like in middle school and high school, we had interactions, but we weren't super close. Mm-hmm. I think you and I knew each other best in elementary school. Oh yeah. And yeah. what's really interesting about what you're saying is this is the Pascal I knew in elementary school, like mm-hmm. this outspoken, hilarious, fun loving person. And I think a lot of mid adulthood, right. And early adulthood is like figuring our stuff out. And we yep. have to like reconnect with that younger version of ourselves like the mm-hmm. pure younger version of herself and hearing you say that you say that at the gym, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the Pascal I met. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I want to start a t-shirt line and, you know, put all the, like the funny things I have said or things that I'm not afraid of talking about. Like mm-hmm. I think I was in a group chat and I mentioned lattes and orgasms. What's wrong with I that? I would buy that. I would hundred percent. You let me know when that line comes out. <laughs> like, what's, what's wrong with that? It's like, I'm pretty sure I had a latte earlier and I didn't have a later. Sounds like a good day to me. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, I think there just, there's nothing wrong with being who you are. And it's taken me a long fucking time, mm-hmm. long time to get back to that fun girl that once existed. Well, your story is amazing. And I am so grateful. The girl who doesn't talk about feelings decided to come on a podcast. I know. I know. And you know, when we connected on Instagram, I'm like, I'm going to slide into Jesse's DMs. And I want to do a podcast because <laughs> I've been wanting to do this for so long. And I was like, fuck, I don't really know anybody. I'm like, oh, but Jesse has a podcast. And I'm like, let's do one. <laughs> I am so grateful for it, Pascal. I'm so grateful for it. I mean, you are such a light and I am so sad to hear about your years of struggle, but I'm so grateful to hear that they've turned you into who you are today, reconnected you to that that Pascal I met years ago and allowed you to be you. I mean, it's just incredible. Me too. I can't tell you how thankful I am that you are doing powerful work. I mean, it's, it's incredible that this field exists and that you are making the change that is so desperately needed. And it's not just for women, it's for everyone. And I hope that listeners take that. They don't take this podcast with a grain of salt and that you matter. Don't be silenced. Speak your mind, wear that thong, whatever. Be free, be who you want to be and don't apologize for it. And if you need help, ask for it. And eat that fucking cheeseburger. Italy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope it strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you liked today's episode, the best way you can thank me is head on over to iTunes, Fuel Her Awesome Podcast, leave a review and subscribe. Then take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. And if you're looking for more resources, be sure to check out my website, JessBrownRD.com. I've got info on my e-course, Fuel Her Awesome Food Foundations, my 10-step ebook on how to beat body bullying, and so much more. I cannot wait to chat with you babes again. Until next time, cheers and happy eating.